Welcome to Power Not Pity, a podcast all about amplifying the lives and loves of disabled people of color. This is all about creating safe spaces to pass the mic. I'm Brian, and the show is back for a brand new season. Brand new season, brand new energy. I'm so excited to share this next batch of stories, y'all. They are so vibrant. But before I begin, I have to do something dear to my heart. That's thanking all the people who support me on Patreon. It's been a while, but since the first season ended, I've had so many wonderful people come through and drop some coin into my pocket every month. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jen Lynn, Alyssa Stars, Ashley Steven, Avrin Keating, Keiko Wright, Laura Flanders, JB Bragger, Jessica Lewis, Laura Mintz, Latoni Alvarado Rivera, Fran Odette, Erica Knox, Charlie Garcia Spiegel, Homo Ground, Dylan Marin, Chanel, Selena Pashuri, Ryan Easterly, Sylvia Nowak, Jennifer Miller-Smith, Ashley Taylor, Orion Stephanie Johnston, Kevin McKeese, Katie Newhouse, Abigail Savage-Lou, and Samaya Amadullah Foster. All of you mean so much to me. Your pledge symbolizes your commitment to helping me build my dreams of empowering disabled people of color in mass media. If you, dear listener, like the show and want a little extra access to the show, check out my Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash powernotpity. This season, I'm going to explore the idea of survival. I think it's just the right time to start talking about this idea. So many disabled people I know have this concept on their minds for practically all their lives, you know? But since the beginning of the pandemic, disabled people have shared their experiences and knowledge and truth with the world online. So, I'm going to be talking about survival. Survival. What does survival actually look like for disabled people of color during this time? What do we need? And what are we currently entitled to that the state does not allow us to have? What has systemic oppression and white supremacy denied us? And what have we carved out for ourselves? This season is gonna range from dogs to art and activism to music and more. This first episode, our companion animals, ourselves, is special because it's a new beginning, but it's even more special because it features my homie, my best friend, Kay Londi Barrett, and their dog, Biggie. Although we're going to talk about our lives together, this episode is really focused on their dog because I think our pets have the power to keep us surviving, thriving, and breathing our next breath as we stroke and cuddle and dance in quarantine with our beloveds. 
So let me tell you a little bit about this amazing human, Kay. Named one of nine transgender and gender non-conforming writers you should know by Vogue, Kay Alondi Barrett, AKA at Brown Brown Boy, is a poet, performer, and cultural strategist. Kay has been featured at the Lincoln Center, the UN Symphony Space, Princeton University, Tucson Poetry Festival, New York Poetry Festival, the Dodge Poetry Foundation, the Hemispheric Institute, and Brooklyn Museum. Their contributions are found in American Poets, the New York Times, BuzzFeed, Asian American Literary Review, PBS NewsHour, Race Forward, Nylon, The Huffington Post, Bitch Magazine, and more. Their first book was When the Chant Comes, off of Topside Press. More Than Organs, off of Sibling Rivalry Press, is their second collection. And it is so good, y'all. You should check it out. More Than Organs. Currently, Kay lives outside the New York City area with his jolly dog and remixes his mama's recipes whenever possible. Y'all, this interview is real as they come. It's so real, we even start crying in the studio. Are you ready to jerk some tears? <laughs> okay, that was really corny, but I know it will definitely tell us at your heartstrings. But let's begin at the beginning, shall we? Listen in as we talk about the origin story of Kay and Biggie. I think being disabled and in chronic pain, especially, and being a trans person, that's isolation in multitude. And so I knew that I needed someone, and it didn't have to be a human person, a bipedal <laughs> creature, to support me. And sure enough, uh, my previous partner, we interviewed and found this dog through a trainer, upstate New York. And this dog, there's footage of this dog meeting me. And I just, I sat down outside and Biggie, dopey, lab hound, jowls, velvet ears, extraordinaire, just jumped up next to me, sat down so politely and just cuddled. And I was just like, oh, that's it. I was just like, I made sure obviously that he was house trained. And also we have an affinity is that he was a service animal school dropout. Whoa. Yeah, he was too social. What? I didn't know that yeah, about him. Yeah, so when he sees other dogs, like, that's why walking him isn't difficult, but isn't, yeah. like, the best. Um, he's not the most perfect canine good citizen. He wants to <laughs> greet and hang out and socialize with everybody. He gets really high. So Biggie and I started that way, and it, at, at first he was splitting um, his time in care support in... You know, if I got PTSD, if I got the shakes, any of those things, he would split it with my other dog. And now that I lost that previous dog, Biggie is my main man, my main, main man. team. Yeah, my number one. And anybody I date, anybody I befriend, I have to, you know, bring out the lint roller, <laughs> bring out the peanut butter, give a casual orientation. Yeah. Um, what because- does that orientation entail? Tell me. I mean, even with people who who I host and they're my guests, I was like, look, you know, my dog is very sweet and loyal and is a lover. And so he will follow you everywhere. 
<laughs> to the end of time. I feel like even to his detriment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so when you meet him, you just got to give him a little love, positive reinforcement, and that's usually by way of peanut butter, cream cheese, and then yunlang, there you go. You have you have literally a dog for life. Wow. Yeah. And wow. and that's what it is. And if if walking is different, feeding is different XYZ, but in general like he wants to lay by you and rest by you. And I'm a very, one of my love languages is physical and mm-hmm. physical affirmation. Mm-hmm. And for me, that never, ever always has to mean like romantic, right? Like, it oh, just, yeah. like that's why people get massages. That's why people, you know, get acupunctures, like the touch or the healing touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I find, especially when I'm in chronic pain, you know, a lot of people also like weighted blankets, mm-hmm. right? Me too. Yeah, I love yeah. warmth and weighted blankets. Fantastic. Yeah, and so Biggie literally will lean when you're when I'm in high pain and a spasm, he will just know. Top, and also when I had top surgery, actually, he knew not to be in that vicinity at all. So yeah, when we met, it was just I feel like we're very compatible souls. Yeah. And to anthropomorphize him, he's just he's at the ready. Like yeah, he's loyal as hell. Like I feel very I feel an affinity with him. Wow. Because when he chooses you. That's it. Yeah. He's there. You have to do something pretty wax sauce, honestly, like pretty messed up <laughs> for him to not connect with you. But you yeah. know, he's a cuddler. Oh, I know. I you know pretty well. You come over just to interact just with my dog. Just be with Biggie. It's not about you. Be on you. my podcast, Kay. Let's talk it's about Biggie. It's not about you, Kay. <laughs> Clearly. No, he deserves all the shine. Yeah. Yeah, he's let, he honestly has saved my life repeatedly. Not once, not yeah. twice. So you said that there's this kind of orientation that you have towards him that's, you know, not romantic, but still very, very significant to you. Animals leave space, like this unsaid space and interdependence that we've had, particularly with dogs, right? Like, I think dogs themselves, the level of oxytocins are continuous um, well after infancy, unlike human babies, where the human babies during a first you know, that first year is like oxytocin, oxytocin, oxytocin party. Yeah. That gradually ends. Mm. Whereas puppies, they constantly, dogs, that's just what they do naturally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so they give off that oxytocin, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's inevitable. Biggie, Biggie's energy is just so, so contagious. No, and I think that people, you know, you can come home from a bad day or any day. Your outfit can be whacked. Somebody can be terrible to you. And just every time you come home, here's a presence that's just excited for you to be you. And also excited because they know they are going to get food. There's a contract. It's very clear. Mm. It's not like humans, no? Nah? Mm. I feel like with my animal, it's clear. When I say sit, there's a hand gesture. I trained it to a click and treat. It's yeah. a contract. Right? Okay. Humans are messy. Yeah. Tell me more about that contract, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think it's morphed over time in terms of the journey of your disability? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think with Biggie, what is really palpable with him is he's he is so intentional and knows when somebody's upset. Like, you've seen it, right? Somebody's yeah. crying, somebody's shaking. Um and he'll just, there was a time where I literally, I was talking to someone in one of like the bedrooms and I just started sobbing. All of a sudden, poof, he <laughs> bashes through the door, sits on the bed and puts his head on my lap. And that's it. Like he can sense it. And people say um, with dogs who um, can tell people have spasms or faint or you can't necessarily train that. 
they can just naturally tell through your pH balance, yeah. the way you're sweating, your chemical changes, your mood fluctuations, your sweat patterns, that that's happening. Yeah. He doesn't know that he's a helpful medical tool or a thoughtful support strategy. He's just like, this is my person. Some, I notice something happens to my person. Or this it doesn't even have to be his person. It doesn't even have to be me, really. Yeah. All the time people come by are upset or depressed or sad or in chronic pain and he just literally will sit there or rest his chin on the part that hurts or lick it or pay special attention to the area mm-hmm. i don't i don't think that's ever changed for the total of almost a decade yeah wow oh i'm just i'm like growing more and more in love with Biggie as this interview goes on. No, I'm serious. Like I said, it's not about you. I know. I know. I wish I could bring him in. He would love it. Yeah, that would be so sweet. <laughs> there is so much that I love about Biggie. Kay and I have been good friends now for six years. And throughout that entire time, Biggie was present. Even if he isn't in the room with me, Biggie survives through Kay's survival and vice versa. He's all heart. Those dopey eyes that look deep inside you. The fur that always, always gets on your black jeans. The way he follows you to each room and then knows exactly when to rest exactly where you need him to be. To tell you the truth, I've never had a choice in animal companionship. I'm Jamaican. So I was basically raised to think that dogs are outside animals, not inside pets. I think for a lot of disabled people, even the choice in animal companionship is significant and more than likely difficult. Sometimes I think about having one and the thoughts that come to mind take time to wade through. It's like, what can I handle in terms of taking care of this animal? like? How could this animal negatively or positively affect the way my MS shows up in my life? There's so many questions to consider, and it's sort of like a back and forth. Biggie's helped me through so much, too. He's there when I visit Kay, and suddenly I might experience the burning pain associated with my MS. And just like Kay said, Biggie comes to lay his head on my shoulder giving me something I really only receive at night. Sweet compression. Like he could carry the most gentle, smallest object and be like, here, Pops. You know, and it's so, wow, to have the ability of destruction and to always choose otherwise, right? To make a choice otherwise. Mm. For me, that's so fascinating. I guess that's how I learned to love. Like, he teaches me this lesson. I could do cruel things. I could do terrible things where I've internalized trauma and lash out on people. I think what's better is that I choose softness. And I see that with Biggie every time. He always chooses softness. This is my preference. I would love a pig. And you already know this. You already know this. Pigs are so intelligent and so sweet and tender. Pigs are so smart. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But that aside, now they know about me. Like, I thought I was going to visit you, and there would be a pot-bellied little pig. There will be. Do you have and names? His name will be Nathaniel. Oh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel Porcinus. Just getting back to the idea of making a choice, right? Mm-hmm. And you saying that, in a way, he chose you. 
I want to know what kind of choices you make to, I guess, facilitate your experiences with your disability. Because he's sharing so much aftercare and before care for me, I have to make sure he gets his too. And that's just not with my dog. That's with anybody who's my chosen family, regardless of species, you know, like, um, so he has great, I work harder. So he has better food. I work harder. Every time I make money, it's, it's for my community and those who take care of me. And that includes Biggie, right. You know, like a meal for another person who's trans, um, and, and it always comes back to me. And so for Biggie, I have to really consider how he's boarded, uh, where does he sleep, but also, like, is he getting stimuli, you know? Um, because I'm physically disabled, it's not like I'm be like, okay, Biggie, you and I, let's go for a run for three miles. Especially him. He could be a scent dog or a nose dog, so he likes to find things, search for things. So I'll hide treats around. I'll train him. I'll freeze Kong toys with frozen food. We'll do a lot of training. He doesn't. He works for his meal yeah. in the ways that it stimulates him, mm-hmm. right? I don't. I don't want him, I mean, he's always at home all the time anyway, right? So how do we engage that? What does that look like? I also don't, I live in a place that's not gentrified and it doesn't have a park or a dog park, right? So it's not like um, sometimes I let him out doing like in grassy knolls that are enclosed, but we can't just go to a dog park and let it ride, you know? So uh, for him, I think it's really about creating tactile exercises that stimulate him mentally that get him tired. I mean, that happens with humans. We have really, if we're doing tricky problem solving or intense work, and even though we've sat in a desk all day, we're still fatigued, right? All animals are the same way. So with Biggie, yeah, we do a lot of training, a lot of clicker training, a lot of T-O-U-C-H touches um, to invigorate, like, just his spirit, but also so that it builds our bond together. Yeah. So it constantly, again, reinforces that contract and that agreement yeah. that we have. Um, he knows that anytime there's an action, there will be food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very clear, yeah. right? Yeah. Like even, even when he first was just like resting by me, I would click and treat it mm-hmm. because I wanted him to know that his time is valuable and that I acknowledge his time. You know, and when he gets that positive association, then he's just like, oh, yeah, this is what we do. It takes a lot for dogs to really they're the one species who's really altered their lives for the human race, like in a way that other animals can't in other ways. Animals don't even with cats like cats like that glass. Fuck it. You know, (laughs) like I'm going to scratch this up. Whatevs. You know, dogs are dogs, not necessarily appease, but have had to reformulate and shape their lives for us in such a way that's such a power dynamic that whatever I can do, if I have to give him the best food, the best bones, you know, the warmest sweaters. Definitely. I, I completely understand now and see the I can just feel the love that you have for for Biggie. It's just coming through this interview. What is the feeling like? when you are traveling and then you come home to Biggie. What does it feel like? You know, I used to be so privileged because I could take cornbread everywhere I went. He actually did a lot of work. So panels would fall asleep with me. We'd go on the train, um, on the plane. And so I was really hoping to get a dog in that way. But, you know, service animals, anywhere ten to $25,000, there's a priority waiting list for people who are deaf and blind. There's a waiting list priority for people who are vets. Right. So if you don't have that money, you don't have those experiences. Um, 
you're kind of in trouble to get somebody who could do who's trained for full service. So when I got Biggie, I was hoping he could do full service and he can't travel with me, which was a heartbreak. But I think coming home to Biggie is that's how I know I'm home. That's I mean, I miss him as much as I miss my bed. Right. I think I think this is to say he's a family member. And I miss him like a family member. And also, so when I'm traveling away and I have a rider and I have needs of self-care, aftercare, you know, before a set, I'm doing a lecture for an hour, then a workshop for two hours, and then I'm meeting with faculty and staff, I don't have Biggie there. Yeah. I don't. So, you know, what do I get for more tactile, physical um, attention? Hey, massage maybe, or eating exceptionally good or that's what I have to do because it's compensating for his absence. Like his contributions are so big, are huge. And so when I come home, it's that replenishment, I think, for both of us, really. Um, he's gotten this thing that I'm worried about, actually, that he has um, anxiety when I leave, separation anxiety. And it's not been big, but, you know, when I leave, he'll go, you know, and he'll just slump down. I think we both understand, like, and he knows the code as well. So if he sees us packing luggage and putting things away, he's like, oh, it's coming. It's he knows it. And I always have to give him a big treat and a big bone to transition through that shift, right? Because he doesn't know time. Mm -hmm. He just, every time I leave, I'm leaving, right? He doesn't know this is for two days, an afternoon, um, but he can tell the physical signs. Okay, if there's luggage, if it's just a book bag, oh, Pops is just going to work. You know, there's no book bag at all. Oh, he's just going to go out for a little bit, hang out with Bri, do whatever, do whatever, and come back home. But if there's luggage and he sees me packing and the more intense that process is, he knows it's he can intuit that it might be a longer time. So when he when I come home, it's like jubilation every time. Wiggly butt, big tail, excitement. Anybody who knows who comes over my house and meets Biggie, like, you feel like you are the supreme when you arrive. He has been waiting for you to breathe. And it's just also me as a service top. He teaches me, again, how to give that same kind of ecstatic to the ones I love, right? Like, to be that jubilant and that giving and that affirming. Yeah, I mean, thinking about who we come home to like what we come home to and how that's reflected in us like I just find it so fascinating that he's actually sort of trained your mind mm -hmm. on how to love like you said mm -hmm. how to love that's absolutely beautiful um, I think something that maybe people don't understand is the is the idea that the bond between a companion animal and a disabled pet parent is so much stronger. Tell me more about that. I really think that, you know, there's a interdependence that happens with a dog or with any animal. I don't care if your animal's a goat. I don't care. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's beyond my best friend. He's, uh, he knows my body when it's most in pain. So I think he stays, humans go. And maybe as a disability justice advocate, I'm not supposed to say that. But animals, one, because he, he doesn't have the option to leave. But Pero, like, he could easily one day just be like, I actually don't want to lean into you. I don't give a fuck about how you treat me. But he is persistent, consistent, and there's a structure. And when you are an 
in workers' comp or SSDI in the whole world, like the medical complex just takes you down, there's a dog who'll be there for you. And you can't rely on people the same way because we're people. Because there's so much systemic oppression happening, I can't rely on the same consistency. That's impossible. That's inhumane to ask my chosen family, partners, mentors, etc. And for some reason, with a bond with a dog, that's what that is. This next poem is called Sick for Sick. And this is for sick, disabled, queer people who love each other. And it doesn't have to be romantic, it's just kindred. So this is for Spoonies out there. Sick for Sick. Her body patched, swollen skin, hair flecks, gone rogue, mismatched knees, ache knits, quilts throughout, curvature, a soft thing. She said, if we hum close, Close enough that our chests touch, shared breath comes belly up. That, that is not platonic. Now, breathe same air. Nostril kinetic by way of brow cleft in migraine. Syllables chop temples. Strain is something to lull here. Together, when nerves are ablaze, I'm told to be blanket. Lay my torso on hers, abdomen to abdomen, core to core. This is this what a field does to a hill? Spill it with poppies? I wait on her skill. How she will smile, how she will sigh. The human body is the heating pad. Limbs bonfire, flip sheets. You can't reverse sick. Today, we don't want to. Chests pulse softest lake. Come spring, we never do this again. There's only a memory of it how her lungs cathedral, how I prayed there on the ledge of inhale, sternum sacred, coughed him spasm luminescence, syllables stretched, muscles sacrament, more than splay, us, petals in overlap, us, an ampersand on fire. Yes, yes, Kay. That was Kay's performance of Sick for Sick. Just one of the amazing poems in their arsenal. Now let's get back into the interview. I don't feel that Biggie gets compassion fatigue. Yeah. He, I really generally think he generates more energy being present yeah. and cuddling with me. Me, if I'm like, yo, I'm in bed. If I sleep in, can't move, can't get food, in chronic pain or super depression, he's like, all right, we'll just stay in bed. That's cool. And he knows I have to take him out eventually. So then in that interaction, I have to get up, right? Like I have to get some fresh air a little, you know, I have to feed someone else. That kind of responsibility um, helps me refocus my own tasks. And I don't know if that's the same for able-bodied folks. I need a ritual and a rhythm that exists beyond the medical industrial complex. 
right? And he can ground me. And with my previous dog, Cornbread, my, my previous dog, Cornbread, loved me just the same. Super fit, able-bodied, skinny, going to the gym, hoo-ha, hoo-ha. And when I became dis- disabled in bed care, yo, I couldn't move for nothing. Cornbread loved me just the same. We trained just then from the bed, yeah. right? So it's more about the person mm. beyond the architectural confines of ableism, right? Yeah. They're just like, how's the person doing? If, is that they meet you where you are yeah. and you meet them where they are when you train a dog the first thing a dog trainer tells somebody and this is in, again with either a canine good citizen to a service animal is like you're training the dog for success Whoa. you don't push the dog ever if you hyper push a dog then you fail that ta- you failed that task you always want to set a dog up for success and to think as humans if somebody came up to us as a small young person for me, a young person of color who grew up poor, like, and the approach to teaching me and guiding me and being my friend or a mentor or what have you in any relationship was, we're here so that you're successful. Right? What a concept. You know what I'm saying? I just, we'll do as much as you want to do to what you want to do. And from then we'll develop. And We want you to succeed. And I think when you're training a dog as a sick person or disabled person, it gives you a new language. It gives the clarity. Again, the medical industrial complex, you are constantly coordinating, running about, getting different ideas, body shaming, people telling you you're not disabled, people telling you you're not in pain. They're all undermining your truth. With your animal, as you're moving through your animal, these are facts. When you sit... We've trained you so many times with this one hand gesture, with the same delici- delicious food. That's what happens. Yeah. It is proven data. This is what happens. Yeah. There's something sweet about that. There's something safe. Before Biggie enters and leaves the room, what does he do? He stretches. He shakes it off and he stretches. Simple gesture. Imagine if before we had interactions, we would just like stretch it out. Imagine if before, inter- before after interactions, hard or soft, that we just like shook it off, dry bathed it out, right? Just these simple things where he does things subconsciously without knowing. I really secretly model my own practice. I'm like, yeah, when was the last time I like, oh, let me shake that. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm I'm ready to have a new conversation, to, to connect with new people, or to struggle with hard concepts, or to be challenged, right? Um, I, think, I think also what it has taught me is that you have to always be fed. You have to always be nourished. If we're not getting food, if we're not getting water, if we're not in a safe, warm place to sleep, then there's a problem, right? And that's for a lot of Black, Indigenous, POC, and trans, non-binary, queer people who are disabled or who are spoonies, who have chronic pain. Like, we are not getting our basics. That's it. I want a place where who I am, who you are, who Biggie is, is uplifted for who we are. We're not trying to chase a model that persists to be something else. Things can pivot and change. Not all animals are cut and paste. Not all communities are cut and paste. You know? And I think that's important to acknowledge when we're thinking about liberation, when we're thinking about um, what justice feels like. Like, it's important to have guiding principles and agreements and also... disability has taught me to learn to pivot in a way that I don't think able-bodied people know how to pivot because we're constantly asked to be something else or do something else or to be fixed and so I have had to learn um, to move and pivot for myself 
and also to embrace myself at once. And I think the connection with Biggie does that. I'm in marathons trying to prove myself everywhere else. I feel as disabled people, we, I feel we have a tendency, you know, because we have to code switch and talk to medical industrial complex or talk to legal space or talk to the state. Um, and obviously that's exa- exacerbated by transness, by blackness, by migration, right, by uh, body size. Um, so for me, like with Biggie, I've learned that we can create a communication that's a guideline and that he pivots. So if I, you know, I'm too spooned out, cool. I can go for walks for maybe five, six, seven blocks, cool. Yeah. We learn to pivot mm-hmm. with the moment. And I think that's what needs to happen mm-hmm. with justice work too. I feel like that's a really tangible principle of disability justice is like whole body, your whole life, your whole body. All bodies are worthy. All bodies are valuable. All bodies have needs, right? If we're yeah. quoting Sins Invalid and we're talking about disability justice principles, yeah, bring all your body, all yourself, and everyone has needs. My last question is something I always ask people. So considering the fact that this is about companion animals, what do you think is Biggie's disabled power? I think his disabled power... I think he has a lot of anxiety. And I think part of that is, so he is very vigilant. His anxiety has taught him, you know, I found him at a shelter. For whatever reason, whether his person died or had to give him up, there has to be some loss there, right? He lost a person. He's, he didn't just learn to be just cuddly with me. I'm not his first person. And I don't take that for granted. Um, I think his disability power is his ability to ascertain other people's anxiety. Mm. I think his ability to be in parallel or in concert or to support other people's anxiety. Um, And, you know, again, it's that trauma of leaving Whatever that is for him, I mean, again, we don't speak the same language, so I'm completely anthropomorphizing and completely speculating. But I do think he is just so in tune with somebody who's in emotional pain. That's just fascinating to me. His level of compassion is, yeah, honestly, I don't think I have that same magnitude. So, you know, big props to my dog or to anybody else who has to do service work all day, every day to humans and animals who are doing service work all day, every day, because that is its own fatigue, but also its own magic. Is there anything else you'd like to say? If you're interested in my work, check me out at Brown Round Boy and boy spelled B-O-I. B as in brain, O-I. Now that we're living through a pandemic... So many questions are on my mind. What does survival look for a Black, disabled, non-binary person like me? I have to say, it ain't easy. Most days, I go from feeling bitter that able-bodied people are now able to see the ways in which interdependence and mutual aid works, to hopeful for a major cultural shift in the way that we work towards our care and well-being. Speaking of care, we need a massive shift towards collective care. What's that? Well, it's about fostering safety and trust, reliance and investment in people 
and affirmation and encouragement. There's no shame in asking for help because it runs counter to how things are done in other industries, such as the nonprofit industrial complex and the medical industrial complex. It's all about this following question. How do you bring your full self? These are the ways that disabled people have functioned in capitalist society since it began. What we are dealing with now is what disabled people of color specifically have long feared when dealing with the systemic oppression that is inherent within government institutions. And it's what bars us from living our truest selves. I remember it really hitting me during the interview when Kay was like, in dog training, the first thing a new owner learns is how to set a dog up for success. The idea of failing a dog was so new to me that I really had to sit on how the metaphor translates to our own lives as humans. What if we did have a culture that included turning the idea of success and survival on its head? To me, survival is about breathing, seeking, and thriving through abundant community. Basic needs are accounted for, and there is intentionality behind care, especially extended to disabled folks. A world that prioritizes wellness over productivity and capital. Think about that. Remote work and virtual accessibility is finally being normalized due to COVID-19, but we need to be having conversations that center disabled people of color. There are going to be people who are grieving. There will be people dealing with varying degrees of mental illness, and there will be people who will become disabled as a result of what is going on. Now that the systemic silence is broken, the world needs to listen to us because we are the ones who will shape the new future that is to come. Thanks so much, homie, for coming on the show. Your stories about the brilliance of Biggie's presence was a blessing. Kay's book, More Than Organs, is out now on Sibling Rivalry Press. Go get your copy, y'all. It'll change your life. Check them out on at Brown Brown Boy, that's B-O-I, on social media handles everywhere. Thanks to Ariel for creating the quarantine reading series, which featured the poem that you heard during this episode. Kay tenderly brought the house down with their performance, because they're a tender guy. Music was by Samuel Oak, 899, and Waveplay. Want to keep up with the latest on everything Power Not Pity? I know you do. Well, check out www.powernotpity.com. I'm a Twitter prince, so I stay at Power Not Pity. It's the same for my Instagram and Facebook handles, too. If you want a little more crip love in your life, Become a patron of the show. You'll get a shout out, a chance to vote on a future guest, and you'll have access to extra videos that I post infrequently because what is time even anymore? (laughs) 
You can find my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash power not pity. But yeah, thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for more Power Not Pity next month. Yeah, that's a good boy. It's a good boy. Good boy.